Well, good morning. Uh, Today is a unique day on the liturgical calendar of the church. Not only are we bringing the season of Pentecost to a close, which ends our church year, but we are also acknowledging the feast day of Christ the King. As most of you already know, Pentecost is the longest liturgical season of the year, and we have marked our time with reminders of what it means to live as disciples how to be good stewards of what we have been given, and how to grow in relationship with God. Now our church year is not on a normal linear calendar. Instead, it is circular or a cycle beginning with Advent and ending with this day, the last Sunday after Pentecost. So this might be a good day or week to reflect or take stock of what you have discovered about your own faith over the last year. How have you grown or matured as a disciple of Jesus Christ? Through what you have learned from scripture or spiritual practices, or through your relationship with God and through this community? And you might even reflect on the sermons you have listened to over the last year. I know a couple of preachers that have worked hard to open up the scripture in a way that they have hopefully connected with you and maybe even moved you into action. Now, next Sunday, the season of Advent arrives, and we as a church begin again. In researching the feast day of Christ the King, I was surprised to learn that it is a relatively new feast day, dating back to 1925. So this tradition is less than 100 years old. Yet it came at a time in the world where God seemed to be losing ground. As explained on churchyear.net, the devastating First World War had been fought and the powers of nationalism and secularism were rising. Pope Pius XI instituted the Feast of Christ the King to lend courage to Christians whose faith might have been waning, to remind nations that the church has a right to freedom and immunity from the state and in hopes that leaders and nations would be bound to give respect to Christ. Or as Professor Carolyn Lewis has written, when we say Christ is king, we say that Caesar is not. Meaning that all the Caesars that vie for our attention in our worship and this day, this is a day that we affirm the reign of Christ and God's kingdom over the reign of those kingdoms that do not hunger and thirst for righteousness. Initially, the feast day was celebrated on the last day of October, but then was moved in 1969 to its current place on the liturgical calendar, the last Sunday of the church year, to be a vision of Christ to which the rest of the year points. I love the idea that we are journeying towards Christ the King as we navigate the church year as his disciples. Today we are given a different vision of Christ the King in Matthew's Gospel as we read of a king sitting on his throne who is busy executing judgment. One of the first things I noticed in this reading is that this is not a story about the judgment of individuals, but rather a story of judgment of the nations. And what is being judged are the attitudes that lead either to apathy and neglect to those in need, or to compassion and service. 
Jesus makes it clear that the attitudes that devalue those most in need among us must be changed. How do we change hearts and minds, including those who profess to be followers of Jesus? As with all change, I believe it must start with each of us, with our own attitudes, choices, and behaviors. Next, I notice the kind of kingdom that Jesus describes. In just a few passages before this story, in Matthew 20, Jesus tells us that he has come not to be served, but to serve. Service is Jesus' calling and mission. Likewise, service is the calling and mission of those who would follow him, meaning you and I. In Jesus' vision and description of God's kingdom, the following occurs. The hungry are fed, the thirsty are given water, strangers and those on the margins are welcomed, the naked are given clothing, the sick are taken care of, the prisoners are visited. In other words, everyone who is poor, hungry, outcast, sick, or despised is treated with love and dignity in real, tangible ways. This is God's kingdom, and this is, in large, in large part, what we pray for when we say, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The biggest surprise in Jesus' description in our reading is that whenever those things occur, whenever the poor are clothed, the hungry are fed, the sick are tended to, and the outcasts are welcomed, when the least of these, as Jesus calls them, are cared for, we learn that we're not just caring for them, but we're caring for Jesus. And whenever we do not do those things, we're neglecting Jesus. This concept was at the heart of Mother Teresa of Calcutta's ministry. Many of her admirers asked Mother Teresa, how can you keep serving the poor, the sick, and the dying with such vigor? What is your secret? She responded many times saying, whenever I meet someone in need, it is really Jesus in his most distressing disguise. It's him that I help. What would happen if we began to really see Christ in others, even in the most distressing disguises in those around us, and then treated them the way we would treat God in Christ? What if the next time we saw someone suffering from poverty, hunger, or thirst, we saw Jesus? Or the next time we saw someone sick and suffering or without proper clothing, or even a prisoner or a stranger, we saw Jesus. It is a powerful spiritual practice to begin to take the time to look at our fellow human beings, particularly those on the margins of our society, and to say to ourselves, there is Jesus. Or to reflect on images of Jesus and see the poor and marginalized reflected back to us. It releases our attitudes of apathy, neglect, and fear towards those who are different from us, and allows us to live fully into the kingdom of God right here, right now, on earth. One man who took this concept seriously and was changed forever by it is St. Francis of Assisi. Francis had long experienced extreme revulsion every time he saw someone suffering from leprosy. 
Leprosy still exists today in parts of our world, and those who suffer from it are often missing fingers, toes, even limbs, and their faces can become severely disfigured. But Francis knew he was called to push against this, this natural response he had until one day he was moved to approach and embrace a man with leprosy and show him sincere affection. It was then that Francis experienced an intense transformation that altered the course of his life. St. Francis's early ministry was actually working with those who had leprosy. Daily, Francis would show tenderness, meet their needs, dress their wounds as they were, excuse me, as though they were Christ himself. Not only did this service benefit those Francis served, but in serving them, Francis himself came to find true peace and joy. Speaking of transformation, I would be remiss if I did not mention today that my sacred ground group finished our final session last Monday evening at St. Matthew and Brown's Point. I wanted to thank Mary Aaronin again for facilitating and for walking with our group on sacred ground. I would also be remiss if I did not share with all of you that there is a deep history of hidden suffering within our country due to racial discrimination, cultural genocide, and systemic systems that were put into place to harm and diminish people of color. Many of my group were shocked at the realization of the countless historical facts and conditions that had been omitted from our education as we grew up, as if they never occurred. Learning about these omitted facts and conditions as we viewed documentaries, read articles and books within our sacred ground curriculum transformed myself and others. Similar to our Ephesians reading today, the eyes of our hearts have been enlightened. So now I've begun my own walk in truth-telling of these facts as part of what God has called me to do. I always knew there was suffering, but I did not know the depth of that suffering and how often it was not just one person who was traumatized within a family, but often it was generational trauma. And I know this will not be a quick fix, nor is it a road I can walk alone, but as Reverend Canon Stephanie Spellers stated, it will be a lifelong journey towards healing and the dismantling of racist, dominating systems and behaviors that have wounded the human family of God. I too could see the face of Jesus in the faces of the people of color who have been made to suffer so that others could profit and grow in power. If you are interested in joining myself and others on this journey of walking with us on sacred ground, please inquire about upcoming sacred ground groups. You can speak with Mary or myself and we will get you connected with the next groups. If any of you have questions regarding the Sacred Ground curriculum, I'm always happy to speak with you as well. In closing, Christ our King calls us to seek and serve him in all people, especially those who are suffering. We can start today, as we begin a new year, as a beloved community, by making a spiritual practice of seeking Jesus in his most distressing disguises and then serving Christ in those in need. In doing so, we will discover we are changed, transformed, and blessed. As St. Francis reminds us, it is in giving 
that we receive. Amen.